All right, good morning. Faith family, how are we doing? Can you hear me all right? Fantastic, fantastic. Well, good morning and welcome back. How was your uh, snowy break? Did y'all have fun? Cold. Cold? Yeah. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed it. I know my family sure did. We had a good time out there in the snow and the ice. Um, I want want to first thank the college and career group. They came out and shoveled some snow and ice so we can get in here pretty safely on the walkway. So thank you guys. You know who you are. Um, I also want to thank you guys for joining us, for braving the cold, uh, to sit under the Word of God, which is always a blessing. And if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, let me just take a minute to introduce myself. My name is Robert Leto. Um, I have the privilege of serving as the student pastor here at Red Cross, and I also have the humble privilege of filling in for Pastor Jesse this morning um, as he's at home dealing with what I believe is pronounced uh, plantar fasciitis. I don't know if I said that right. You can ask a medical professional if I did. Um, but from my understanding, that's very painful. So let's keep him in our prayers um, as we, look, we long for a swift recovery for him so he can be back here. Um, but as a matter of fact, I'm just going to ask that the church would keep all pastors in your prayers on a regular basis. You know, every single person in the church carries burdens, but the, the pastors of a church are called to carry them all. So please do that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm only just beginning to learn what it means to carry some of these burdens in pastoral ministry. Um, just over this week alone, um, several people I know and love have come up to me with scenarios such as these. And I just want to share you some of the things that are going on in our church or around us. Um, people struggling with thoughts of suicide. Uh, people struggling with severe drug addictions. People struggling with multiple deaths in their family and friends. People struggling with severe anxiety. Like a little spiritual warfare going on this morning. I thought it was going to be a little too soon for people to throw a mic at me when I was up here. Sorry about that. People struggling with depression, with panic attacks, and even struggling with consequences of sin in the past. Um, You know, next week I'm even going to speak with a young man who is facing a life in prison sentence. And that can be just very overwhelming. And I'm just just the associate pastor here of a small church in Stanley County. I can't imagine what's on Pastor Jesse's shoulders on a regular basis or pastors over larger congregations across the world. So keep them in your prayers, please. As a matter of fact, if you're interested in getting involved in ministry or you're, you're interested in maybe knowing how to more specifically pray for pastors, I want to strongly encourage you guys to check out this book called Dangerous Calling. I've been reading it lately and it's been just wrecking me in all the best of ways. I mean, it'll really open up your eyes to ministry and how to pray for how to pray for men of the word. But no matter what we are carrying this morning, and again, everyone is carrying something, I am so thankful for Christ, right? Who carries us all. And it is only through Him that we are even able to come together today and gather and worship His holy name. You know, I like to make it abundantly clear at the start of every single sermon I will ever preach that apart from the word of God and the spirit of God, I have absolutely nothing to offer you all. You know, it's, 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 it's only by His power that we're able to read this book and understand this book. We all are in desperate need of His work in our lives. So without further ado, because of that reality, let's, let's pray one more time this morning and ask Him to bless our time together. So pray with me, if you will. Holy Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for the profound privilege of being able to gather today to lift up your holy name. Help us to revel over the profound revelations as to who you are. 
and what you have done to bring redemption to us as your beloved. Lord, we confess that apart from you, we have no good. We are children who are full of sin, but you are a father who is full of mercy, grace, compassion, and forgiveness. Thank you for the cross, which covers all of that. Please empower us this morning in your spirit to turn away from our sin and run towards our Savior. Thank you for your hand over all of our lives. Thank you for your abundant goodness and the riches of your mercy, which you have lavished upon us. Father, please open up our eyes to your presence this morning. Be with your church and their shepherds this morning. May our time together this morning not just fill up our heads, but impact our hearts, God. May this not just be about information on a page, but transformation in our lives. Father, it is your glory that we we wish to, to lift up this morning and magnify. Help us to do this. Be with our pastor as he's at home, possibly even going to urgent care to have his foot looked at. God, comfort him and his family. Strengthen him, Lord, and bring him back swiftly. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you know, it's been uh, pretty cold the last couple of, of weeks here. And um, I've actually pulled this sermon back uh, two years ago. I preached it. So if you heard it then and you have that good of a memory, well, you know, uh, I would say I'm sorry, but it's a really good sermon. And um, I would be impressed if you uh, have memorized it. But uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I think it's well worth our time. And it's even worth hearing again, honestly. And I want to start off with a cold winter war story. Um, I love good war stories. I'm kind of a history uh, nut a little bit. That's what I watch, war movies. So this one comes back from 1812. About this same time of year, uh, there was a legendary emperor. Maybe you're familiar with him. It's a French emperor by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte. Right? At this point in time, he was leading the world's most powerful army on the entire planet. It consisted of half a million soldiers. And they were headed into the heart of Russia But again, they were doing so in the dead of winter. You know, at this point in time, um, they had the Russian army on the run, and they were marching towards the capital, Moscow. And Napoleon's forces up up until this point in time in history were unmatched and undefeated. They had never lost a single battle, yet alone a war. But an unforeseen event was about to change the course of history forever. When Napoleon's army reached Moscow, the temperature had dropped to negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, you thought what we had was cold? Try negative 20, right? It appears that Mother Nature had come to the rescue of the Russians. And instead of continuing to pursue the Russian army, the French army was now battling the the deadly cold. And they were shivering. You know, in the end of the 600,000 French soldiers who made it into Russia, only 10,000 of them made it out of Moscow alive. You know, the reason for their downfall might be surprising. This unstoppable or seemingly unstoppable French army, the downfall of it actually had to do with what they were wearing. The very garments they were clothed in. Right? You see the buttons of their uniforms spanning from the highest ranking general to the lowest ranking private were made from 100% pure tin. And they were sewn in on their uniforms. 
Fascinatingly enough, because of the bonding structure of tin, when it is exposed to bitter cold temperatures, kind of like negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit, it actually starts to disintegrate and crumble into a fine powder. So as you, as you can imagine, right, as their buttons fell apart, so did their uniforms. So did the army. They were left so weakened by the cold that they could not function. Instead of using their hands to carry vital supplies like weapons and ammunition and food and shelter, they were desperately clinging to their clothes, hoping not to open up, just to stay alive. You know, they were improperly dressed for this occasion, and they were about to pay the ultimate price for their shortcomings. You know, shortly after their buttons gave way, so did their bodies because of these extreme temperatures and these harsh conditions. The crippling cold crushed one of the strongest armies the world has ever known, all because they were improperly dressed. Who knew that choosing the type of clothes that you are to wear would, would be a matter of life and death, right? Maybe you can uh, use this as an excuse next time your spouse says, hey, you're taking too long to get ready. You know, does it matter? <laughs> but I can't help but wonder, like, what if Napoleon's army had been warned, right? What if someone were to tell them, hey, you're making a deadly mistake. You're wearing the wrong, the wrong garments. Would they have stopped and listened? Would they have stopped in the middle of this war with everything going right, Russia's on the run, would they have stopped to change their attire? Would they have heard the imperative message? Would they have halted everything in order to take off their outer garments in order to put on another? Well, what if I were to tell you this morning that on this cold winter day, everyone in this church, myself included, we face a similar decision. And life, death, and eternity hangs in the balance. You know, you might be sitting in your pew or listening online this morning, dressed in some of the nicest clothes you own, some of the finest clothes that money can buy, and let me just tell you, friend, it would still not be enough. It's not enough to survive the harsh conditions that soon approaches. Well, what is enough, right? I believe the answer to that question may actually be found in something similar to the clothes that I'm wearing this morning. And you might be thinking, well, what's so special about your clothes? That's just it. They're not mine. They belong to another. I didn't buy these clothes. They were given to me. Evan Early actually graciously gave me these clothes. Appreciate you, man. Last week, they're his, they're his hand-me-downs. <laughs> but that's actually a beautiful picture of the gospel. Perhaps all of this may sound a little unreasonable to you at first, but if, if it does, let me just have this opportunity to explain it with God's Word. We're about to open up God's Word to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. So please head that way if you would. We're going to open up the very words of God as spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ, because it does not get more authoritative and trustworthy than that. So again, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. If you're able, would you please stand with me in the, in the reading of God's Word in the honor of that? This passage is called the Parable of the Wedding Feast. And I have named this sermon, the titled it, The Wedding Crasher. Because we're about to see somebody crash this wedding. Alright, the Word of the Lord, starting in verse, verse 1 here. 
And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants, telling them, Those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves, have been slaughtered and everything is ready come to the wedding feast but they paid no attention and they went off one to his farm and another to his business while the rest seized his servants treated them shamefully and killed them the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and he burned their cities And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in, and looked at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Thus the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Just before we, we dive into unpacking this parable, I believe it might be beneficial for us to first take just a glimpse as to what a parable is. You know, Jesus is a master teacher. He's among other things, but he's also a master teacher. And he often taught in parables, right? And parables are these powerful teaching tools that help to open up the minds of hearers to help them understand and receive and remember his message. But they were also used at times in order to conceal its intended meaning to others. You know, the Greek word para in parable actually means beside of or alongside of. I mean, just think of how we use this terminology today, right? Brother Adam is a paramedic. Right? He works alongside of medics, or to some extent in the, in the Oak Grove Fire Department. He's nodding like I'm not a paramedic. But he, he works alongside of medical professionals. Think of a paralegal. What do they do? They work alongside of lawyers. Right? And the Greek word balo means to throw or to cast. So when we combine these two words together, parable, in its very basic sense, means to cast alongside of. So you can think of them as sort of like Jesus throwing this story alongside of his teaching in a message in order to make a more profound impact on his audience, right? So let's, let's start to break this parable down a little bit, right? Um, now that we know what a parable is, let's break it down a little bit. But first, let's take a look at why does he start out with the kingdom of heaven, right? He says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. What is he talking about? That is actually a very popular 
phrase, right? Over 150 times throughout the Gospels, 55 times in Matthew's account alone, we see that phrase, the kingdom of heaven. But what exactly does that phrase mean? Well, John Piper says it's expressing God's kingly rule and reign over all. His sovereign governing. You can think of it, check this out, as His rescuing and saving activity on our behalf through Jesus Christ. This is why the, in the coming of the kingdom, when Christ comes to us, is described as the gospel. It's good news as to what God has done through Jesus Christ to establish His kingdom. His saving rule as well as the gathering of His people through His reign. So in its most basic sense, right? In these kingdom of heaven parables, we see the Son of God, God Himself, Jesus Christ, explaining to us, the church, over and over and over again, the gospel. How does salvation work? How can we be saved? He's telling us over 150 times how this flushes out in life. But who's who in this parable, right? It's concealed a little bit. You know, there's so many great applications we could focus on here, but I want to take, take a moment just to further build our understanding of this parable by identifying who's who. You can, let's, let's play along, right? Interact here a little bit. Think through this. Test your knowledge. As we go through here, who's who, right? Let's start off. Who is the king behind it all? The one organizing the wedding feast? God the Father. Who's the king's son, the groom to be married? Jesus Christ, amen. I hear some right answers. I'm back to my teacher days. It's exciting. Jesus, yeah. Who's the bride in the story? The church, amen. What is the invitation to the wedding feast? Amen. It's the good news of the gospel. When Christ comes for his bride, it's the union of God to man, where what happens in a wedding, where two become one, right? His spirit lives inside of us. It's beautiful. A great exchange is made. Who are the servants? Who are the sent servants that were killed in that story? They were the Old Testament prophets, right? Who were those originally invited to the wedding feast, but they rejected that invitation? The Jews, the nation of Israel, right? Who are those now invited to this wedding feast? The as many as you find in the story, those are the Gentiles. That's good news, church. That's us, right? Now the entire world is invited, the good and the bad. Scripture says whoever you find, the, the whoever you come across as you go out, they are the ones that are invited. Right, so now that we have looked at to what, as to what a parable is and the who's who in the story, let's focus our attention on what Jesus is teaching us through it. So the main idea today I have for you is this. Be found clothed in Christ or be prepared to pay the ultimate price. 
That's the main idea. Be found clothed in Christ or else be prepared to pay the ultimate price. And I have three truths to share with you this morning. Truth number one is this. Every single thing is ready. Everything is ready. Man, that's a beautiful thing about this wedding. It's your wedding, but you don't have to do any planning for it. Amen. Anybody ever planned a wedding before? Truth number two. Everyone is invited. Truth number three. Eternity is at stake. So the first truth, everything is ready. We're going to be looking at verses 4 and 8 in this passage. Two times we hear in this story, everything is ready. In verse 4, he said, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. In verse 8, we also see, he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Church, the holy triune God has already accomplished every single thing necessary for us to have a seat at the Father's table. To enjoy this wedding feast, everything is ready. You know, it's just like a good old-fashioned holiday meal right? When you were a child, you come through the doors of maybe your parents' house or your grandparents' house, and the the food on the table is set, right? It's already been cooked, prepared, set up. It's ready to go. All that's left for you to do is to sit down and enjoy it, right? They don't expect you to make a deposit. They don't expect you to open up a tab as you begin to eat. It's already been paid for, You wouldn't dare try to sleep your grandmother to slip her a $20 bill or to go out in their backyard and do some yard work to pay that off. Why? Because it would be insulting, right? But but how dare we insult the holy, all-powerful God when we have the same mindset and mentality, when we try to earn our favor or work off our salvation through good works? You know, the parable speaks of the king's fattened calves and his oxen having been slaughtered, right? What are we going to eat at this feast? Well, he killed his oxen and he killed his fattened calves in order for this meal to be made possible. But church, as we read through the Gospels, we find out that it was something so much more costly than that. It was the precious, spotless Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who, come to, who came to take away the sins of the earth, right? God's own Son, the King's one and only Son, had to lay down His life in order for us to be welcomed in. Church, you could never pay that off. It only insults God's glory when we try, right? How do we know this? Isaiah 53 tells us Jesus Christ was pierced For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Listen to this next part. Jesus Christ was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. 
The cost of this wedding feast is astronomical. The sacrifice is priceless. No matter how much or how often we try, we could never pay this off. Trying to work ourselves to heaven will only send us to hell tired, as it has been said by a brother in this church, right? But the bill has been paid in full. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel, right? Our loving heavenly Father picked up the tab and he nailed it to the cross. That's the gospel. Amen. Another beautiful reality in this message, and this is going to come from verses 3, 9, and 10. Not only is everything ready, but point number two, everyone is invited. So look in 3, 9, and 10, if you will. Another beautiful reality, right? Every single one of us is invited. As seen in the Great Commission, God commands us to go out and take this good news into all the nations. The king has commanded that his servants specifically seek out and search for future guests. And you know, the beautiful thing about this is he doesn't give them regulations, right? He doesn't give them criteria they have to meet. He simply says, invite every single person you find. Everyone you come across, tell them about this wedding. Invite them in. No one is to be deemed unworthy by his servants of hearing this message. But some people will prove themselves unworthy because of their rejection of it. You know, this, this same parable we're looking at today is also found, in Matthew, is also found in Luke. And in Luke's account, in chapter 14, check this out. This is, this is beautiful here. The king specifically commands that the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind be brought in, right? He tells them and to go out and find the people who basically know they're messed up, right? The people who basically know they need help. Those are the ones I want you especially to search out and find to come to have a seat at my table. So brothers and sisters, I can't help but wonder, can you hear your name amongst those categories listed, right? Because I know I can I know I'm a wretch saved by grace. I mean, if I can just get real with you, just, just one second. You know, just yesterday, I had to send out a group text message to my family apologizing about my temper, right? I need the blood of Christ on my life just as much as the next man. We were such as these, church. We, were, we are broken because of the crushing blow of sin and shame. It has left us blind. It has left us lame. It has left us not just dumb, but dead. The Bible says that because of our sins and transgressions, we were dead, church. So do you understand that just because you have received an invitation, and if one day you find yourself seated at the Father's table, it's not because of what is found in you. It's because of what is to be found in Him. I love how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26-31. He says, Church, consider your calling. Not many of you are wise, according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are noble birth. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? Why would God do that? If I'm I'm picking a team, I'm picking the best. Why is he picking these? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Christ, because of him, you are in Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, who became to us righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I have a few sobering questions for us in this room, especially the Christians in this room. Right? Brothers and sisters, myself included, I'm asking myself this question. Do you hold back your loving pursuit of sharing this king's, our king's invitation, the gospel message with others because you see them as being unworthy of it? Well, what do you mean? Well, do you allow your political preferences to get in the way? Do you allow economic standings to get in the way? Do you allow racial or ethnic diversities to halt your obedience to your king? Has our king not commanded us in verses 9 and 10 that his servants go out and invite as many as they find? In Luke's account, we are told that they are to go out into the highways and the byways and the hedges and compel people, not just invite them, not just say, hey, come see Jesus, compel them to come in to their father's house, that it may be filled. So I can't help but wonder, will you heed your king's calling as you pass people by on the highways and byways of life? Do you hold this message near and dear to your heart? Church, do you even know enough about the gospel to share it with others? Can you articulate it to others? A a simple test would be talk to a child about it. If you can't explain it to a child, you can't explain it to an adult. But what about those in the room who who, who don't claim Christ as their king, right? What about those who say, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not for submitting to this king just yet, right? Are you aware that that rejection of this invitation, eternity is hanging in the balance? Eternity is at stake, right? I mean, just because everything is ready and just because everyone is invited... This doesn't mean you'll have a seat at the table, right? A sad reality still remains in this text. Not everyone will accept this gracious and undeserved invitation. Some will not come. Why? They will pay him no attention. The Bible tells us that some people are going to go off. One person to their farm, another to their business, Some will will even be enraged to the point that they seize the king's servants, beat them, treat them shamefully, and murder them in exchange for their kindness. Luke chapter 14 says that some will make excuses like, you know what, God, I'm just too busy. I've got business to attend to. Another will say, you know what, I'm I'm just so wrapped up in this relationship with someone else. I don't have time for a relationship with you. But I can't help but wonder 
If, if you're hearing these words today, what's your excuse? Right? What's, what's our excuse? What stands between us and our King? You know, consider this. Every single person is going to have eternal life. Everyone is going to have eternal life. It's just a matter of where you will spend it. In heaven or hell. What is keeping you from Jesus this morning, church? Is it sex? Is it pride? Is it shame? Whatever it is, ask yourself one question. Is it worth it? Is it worth spending an eternity suffering separated from the Father? Look closely at verse 7 for a moment. Look in verse 7 in Matthew 22. What happens to those who reject this message? Well, what happened to Jerusalem? What happened to the temple in whom the Jews placed all their trust in back in 70 AD? Destruction. It was destroyed by Rome. Roman soldiers burn it to the ground. The king's soldiers came, and guess what? They will one day come for you too also. Well, some may think, well, you know what? I'm here this morning, aren't I? I'm listening to this message online, aren't I? I accepted my invitation. I checked my box. I said my one-time prayer. I tossed my money in the plate. I'm good to go. But what if it's deeper than that? What if just because you come up, you show up, and you come to see Jesus doesn't mean that you're truly there for the right reasons? Right? I mean, didn't even one of his disciples go to hell? What if just because you try to come to the feast doesn't mean you're actually going to enjoy the meal? You know, this point is absolutely massive. So please, if you're, if you're zoning out, please fo- focus in right, right here. It's so important. You know, the Bible is full of so much good news. I mean, we call it the gospel for that reason. So much good news. But there is actually also a terrifying warning, Right? Yes, there is enough room for everyone at the Father's table. And you know what, church? He has more than enough provisions so that every single person on the planet could be filled. But still, not everyone will find their place at the table. Not everyone is going to be able to rest in His presence. Not everyone is going to find their soul satisfaction quenched by the King. And what he has provided through his lamb. Some will be cast out into eternal darkness. Look in verse 14. In verses, I'm sorry, 11 through 14, right? When the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get here? How did you get in here without this garment? And he was speechless. And the king's said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You know, church, I opened up with a story at the beginning of the sermon with with the, the improper garments that they were wearing, right? And there's someone here, we call them a wedding crasher, who's going to suffer the same fate. They're improperly dressed for the occasion, and they're about to pay the ultimate price for it, which is far more than they can bear. 
The king asked him, Sir, where's your garment? And the man had no answer. He was speechless. But the king wasn't. He commanded him, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into eternal darkness where there is weeping and grinding of teeth and anguish. You know, heaven and hell hang in the balance. I hope one of two things is going on right now. If you're paying attention right now in this very moment, I hope you're asking yourself one of two things. Number one, I hope you know exactly what that wedding garment is and why it's so very important. Or number two, you're asking yourself one of these questions. Number one, why on earth is the dress code for that wedding so harsh? Why is that wedding garment so important? Well, how do I know if I'm going to be dressed right for this occasion, right? How do I know if my loved ones are going to be dressed appropriately? Well, let's, let's dive in so that we also won't be speechless when we stand before our King. So what's this garment, right? What's this garment and why is it so important? You know, proper garments are actually found throughout the entire Bible. It's really beautiful when we start to look at it. The Bible turns our attentions to garments a few pages in the first book. I mean, think back to Adam and Eve, right? What happened when they sinned against the holy God and they rebelled? <gasps> they found out we're naked, right? And they, they sewed fig leaves together and they tried to cover their shame. But what did God say? That's not good enough. I'm going to kill something and clothe you with it so you can survive. Right? Think back to righteous Joseph and his brothers who despised him to the point of death. What did they strip off of him? What did they dip in blood and present it to the father so that they wouldn't be killed themselves for murdering their son? His coat of many colors. You know, this next one is huge. Check this one out. Think of Jacob and Esau and Isaac. What did Rebekah, Jacob's mother, go and get in order to, to clothe jo Jacob with and present him before his elderly father so that he could steal his brother's rightful blessing? The Bible says that Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, and placed them over Jacob, her younger son, so that when Jacob walked into the father and the father said, come near, and he kissed him. He came near and he kissed him and Isaac smelled Jacob, but Jacob smelled of Esau's garments. And what happened? He blessed him. Right? Think of Zechariah chapter 3, 1 through 5. We see Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan himself is also standing at his right hand, accusing him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel. Check this out. He's clothed in filthy garments. But the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove those filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I, this is God speaking, I will clothe you in pure vestments. And I said, 
Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they clothe him with garments so that he may stand before a holy God even in the midst of Satan's accusations. Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 22. God writes to the church in Laodicea the words of the amen and the faithful, the true witness. The beginning of God's creation. What does God say to the church? Church, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold, but because of you that you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I have no need. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is what God says to the church. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see. Those who I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he will be with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what is God telling us over and over again throughout the Scriptures this morning? Do you have an ear for this message this morning? Church, due to our sin, my sin, your sin, inherited from the fall, we stand before God as broken, as blind, as dirty, as lame, as naked, as unworthy to come before this holy, righteous king. Just like Napoleon's troops, right? The very best we have to offer will crumble at Mother Nature's worst. What hope do we have to stand before a holy, heavenly Father? But church, guess what? There is hope. There is good news. There is a reason to rejoice. We have been given the gift of the gospel. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, we hear these words. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Why? God has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of his righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. As a bride adorns herself with jewels. That's the gospel. We're found not having a righteousness of our own, but that which belongs to Christ. Colossians 3.3 tells, tells us that Christians have died. And our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 3.27 tells us, For all who were baptized into Christ 
have clothed themselves with Christ. Philippians 3, 7 through 9 says this, Whatever gain I had, I counted all as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things. He says that He even counts them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And this last part is massive. That I may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So church, if you wish to stand before the Father, you must first kneel before His Son. John Calvin put it this way, we shall never be clothed in the righteousness of Christ until we first know assuredly that we have no righteousness of our own. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, no man can put on the robes of Christ, the righteous robes of Christ, until he has first taken off the robes of his own. So why was that man cast out of the wedding feast? Why was he placed in hell because of his clothes? He was found not wearing the proper wedding garment. He was found wearing his own clothes. He hadn't humbled himself and cried out for the righteous robes of Jesus Christ to be placed upon him. And I can't help but wonder, church, have you? Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Have you had your prodigal son moment? Have you ever realized the error of your ways? Have you ever seen your need for Christ? You know, this very moment, if you, if you see your nakedness, if you feel the Holy Spirit's conviction upon your soul, if you are aware of your sin and your shame, let me just compel you, plead with you, heed the King's invitation this morning. There is a seat at the table for you. Let me plead with you, heed the King's calling. Repent and run to the Father. You have just been given your invitation, right? Everything is ready. Everyone is invited. And just like the story of the prodigal son, though he has squandered everything he owned on, on prostitutes and filthy living, the father, being full of compassion, sees him returning a long way off, and he comes running to him with open arms. And what does the father cry out? Do you remember? After the ring, what did he cry out? He said, go get the best robe and cover him. You know, with many being called and, and few being chosen, how do you know where you're going to stand? Romans 7. So Revelation 7 answers this question. Revelation 7 says this. I looked and behold, there were a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then, I love this part. One of the elders came up and he addressed him and saying, Who are these? Who are these people clothed in white robes? Where have they come from? Listen to this answer. I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulations. These are the ones that have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they were before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more. They shall thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them anymore, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb of God is in the midst of them, on the throne. He will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So church, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you clothed in your older brother's clothes? Are you clothed in the righteous garments of Christ that you may too take His rightful blessing when you stand before the Father? So to the servants of the King, our King has told us, He has commanded us that we take this good news and we share it with others. He says His house is to be full. Will you heed that decree? To the lost, don't leave here today without accepting that gracious invitation. Everything is ready. Every one of us is invited and your eternity is at stake. Come to the Father. Close out one of, some of the worst years of your life clothed in some of the best, in the very best. Simply cry out for the Father to clothe you in His Son. Ask Jesus Christ to clothe you where you stand. Kneel before the Son in repentance that you may stand before the Father rejoicing. My prayer for us this morning is Philippians 3.9. That we too may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from keeping the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The gifted righteousness of God that depends on faith. And may we take this and share it with others. Church, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is perfect and inerrant. We thank you for your son who has perfectly fulfilled the law in our place. Though our sins are many, his mercy is more. Father, help us to take this message, to take this good news, and to share it with everyone we come across. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.